The statistics are grim. One in five working moms say they've been passed over for an important assignment or for a promotion because they have children. And women who take even one year off to have kids come back to earn 40% less than their peers. Working moms outpace, outperform, and outwork their peers. So why don't companies make an effort to support working moms? And how can working moms advocate for themselves in the workplace and in their careers? Frankly, we're tired of asking for a seat at the table. It's time to make our own table, and we're going to talk about how. I'm Zabine Mirza, and this is Moms at Work. Welcome to this episode of Moms at Work. I'm your host, Sabine Mirza, and today we are talking about asking for help. And in order to learn about how to ask for help, I am going to be asking for help from a person who is um, very well suited to give us this advice. Um, Her name is Beth Fitzgerald. She's a dear friend, somebody that I've worked with in the past. She's brilliant at what she does, and I'll give you a little bit of her background. Um, She's a graduate of Rutgers. She started her career on Wall Street, very much like myself, on the hedge fund side. She moved over to Prudential. She did a stint at Oppenheimer, where I, too, spent some time, so we have that connection. And then she left Wall Street to raise her four children, and uh, Beth re-entered the workforce seven years ago, graced us with her presence, um, and opened her own executive coaching practice. And if she didn't have enough on her plate, she decided to write a book, which we're going to be talking about today, The Wake Up Call, Daily Eye-Opening Motivation to Live Your Best Life. She's also a member of the Forbes Coaching Council. She's a certified life coach. She's a speaker. She's a trainer, and she's an all-around awesome human being. Beth Fitzgerald, thanks for being here on Moms at Work with me. Zabine, thanks for having me. I'm so delighted to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure. And you know, Beth, when we started talking about Moms at Work and we started talking about the mission of Jobs.Mom, and of course, for those of you that are listening or listening for the first time, rather, um, Moms at Work is the official Jobs.Mom podcast. And Jobs.Mom is something that we built to really um, become a resource digital hub, job board, opportunity board, um, networking center for working mothers everywhere, mothers that are currently working, uh, women that are soon to be mothers, and mothers that are seeking to re-enter the workforce. So basically at every stage of your life, um, jobs.mom is providing support, guidance, advice, opportunities, uh, and community. And of course, at every stage of your life, whether you're a mother, a new mother, um, an experienced mother, Asking for help, Beth, is something that we all struggle with quite a bit, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. I still struggle to this day with asking for help. But I think once you uh, once you get used to asking, it gets a little bit easier. So let's talk about, before we get to, get to the, the nitty gritty about how to ask and who to ask and when to ask, uh, let's talk about this book, The Wake Up Call, which anyone listening can buy on Amazon. Um, and The Wake Up Call, basically, if you read the book jacket, which I really loved, was what if you had a life coach following you around every day for a year? And, and I don't know if it was the Verizon commercial, one of those commercials where they showed this guy walking around and there were cheerleaders following them around to the grocery store, to the car wash. So that's what I kind of felt like your book was about, Beth. But why did you write this book? 
You know, Zabine, the story is pretty funny. The reason I wrote, I wasn't writing this book, right? I was, uh, I was doing my daily blog and I was coaching and uh, I decided that I was going to write a book about leadership. And I was having lunch with my daughter, my oldest daughter, who is now 25. And we were sitting at the kitchen table and she said, mom, everybody that reads your blog is saving this post or that post and, and trying to compile it themselves for things that, that speak to them. Why don't you just create a book that they would have literally on their nightstand that they could reference when they needed you, right? Or, or like you said, have you around for a full year for the cost of a book. And so she changed the trajectory of what I was doing and what I was writing. And I decided that that was probably the best thing that I could do at that point was to create something that people would have as a reference guide. So um, to your point, it's unlike it's 365 days, but in the back, it's indexed. So it's like, all right, are you struggling with asking for help? Then look in the index for where can I ask for help or, you know, time management or whatever you're you're struggling with. So that's the that's how the the book came about. And I was not headed in that direction, but it ended up taking me on a two year detour. Well, you know, inspiration and motivation certainly comes at the most random times and sometimes for the most unexpected um, sources, right? But you're a mother of four children, right? I have three kids. You have four. Um, you're a working mom. What has been your key to survival? So key to surviving both professionally and personally, and also the key to surviving the process of writing a book. <laughs> So I would say if you're a mother of, of one or more, you are a very good juggler. You have figured out how to juggle. We said when we went from two to three, we went from that kind of zone defense to, um, from, or man to man to zone defense. Like, okay, how do we do this? And then when we got to four, it definitely got more daunting. But I will, I'll say a few things about surviving that for, uh, for your listeners. One, um, yes, you have to struggle. Number two, I would say that I am essentially kind of a scrappy person. I'm a fighter by nature because I didn't grow up in an environment that I had very much means. So um, it was always for me um, about survival and about the next, and I don't mean survival, like we didn't have food on the table or anything like that, but there was nothing that was going to be handed to me. So if I wanted it, I had to go get it. And very at a very young age, I had a job because I provided for myself. I paid for my own college education. So all along in my whole life, I always knew how to get to the next level because I was going to fight for it. And if I didn't fight for it, it wasn't going to happen. So I would say to your listeners, if they're thinking about the struggle, um, you know, we all we all have the struggle and how do we all survive? It's just knowing what point B is and not losing sight of it, keeping point B out there. You know, it's all about from getting from point A to point B, but but you have to know what point B is and never let it go. Never think about, you know, point A, you know, A.5 or whatever, you know, 1.5. Just keep it in mind and, and keep it in the forefront of what you want to achieve and never, never let it go, you know, or change the plan, but don't change the goal, right? Yeah. And I think that's so important because... I'm an extremely goal-oriented individual. Everything is goals with me, right? Whether it's with the grocery, whether it's it's the daily tasks, it's, I have to-do lists, everything is about goals and targets. But it seems like it's easy, especially as, as mothers, to have goals and targets for other people 
and not for yourself. It's almost as if it doesn't matter what my goals and my targets are and something that I've been actively um, you know, working towards. But you're absolutely right because if we don't know where we're going, how can we get there? How can we get there healthy mentally and physically? How can we get there successfully in our careers and personally? And I don't remember who said it, but success was you know, 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. And the reason I mention it is because that perspiration is, is the aggressive and dogged determination in the pursuit of that goal. But, you know, if you don't know what that goal is, it's, it's a wasted effort, right? Yeah. Yeah. And to your point about kind of having that that vision, if we put ourselves last, which we very often do as a mother, and I absolutely uh, did that for you know a good, I don't want to say a good portion of my life, but I definitely put myself last until I realized that I was teaching my children and my daughters to put themselves last. And when I realized that that was what I was teaching them, I changed my ways. And I said, I can't be last because I'm teaching them to put themselves last. So if you can't do it for yourself, at least look at your children and say, what am I teaching you? What am I showing you? Because if I put myself last, I'm encouraging you to do that as well. And and I couldn't do that. Having three daughters, I just couldn't do that. And it's, and it's also the reason that I finished writing the book. I told you it was a two plus year journey. And there were points where... I want to say that I couldn't go on. I just was like, I don't know how to get through this. This is really, really hard. And every time I would look at the book and I would look at the struggle, I would say, you are going to tell your daughters that you gave it up, that you were halfway through it or whatever percentage through it. And you just threw in the towel because it got too tough. And, and for that reason is why that book is on the shelf right now. I said, if I am the only person that buys that from Amazon, I will at <laughs> least have taught my, my children and my daughters in particular, do not let go. Do not, you know, like you said, you know, a dog with a bone, dog of determination, hold on to it, bring it to fruition, even if it's just for you. And you know what, Beth, it's, you know, just talking to you, you start to remember, not necessarily realize, but maybe realize also that we are role models for our children. Um, we're not just, although it may feel that way, a food source, a bank, you know, a chauffeur, um, but it's more than that because we are teaching them through our own example. So if they see us communicate, if they see us uh, manage time well, prioritize, um, advocate for ourselves, set boundaries, if they see us persevere, these are the things that they internalize. And if they see us doing the opposite, um, those are things they internalize as well. And, and it's important that we remember that what we do or what we don't, our kids are watching, our kids are listening. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's the life changing moment, right? If you look at your, if you look, if you separate your life and say, there's my at home time as a mom, and this is my mom role. And then there's this, my business life. If you, if you cross them over, it's amazing how much crossover there is. So when you talked about help before, um, help is delegating. And you know what? That so in business terms, when when you when you delegate, you are a, a powerful leader, right? But at home, when you ask for help, somehow you're this weakling. And and I think if you change the the terminology, it changes the perspective and say, I'm at home, I'm delegating because it's the right thing to do. It makes us more efficient. If we need to spread the work around or whatever you know you're trying to do, but um, I think we look at things as at home being this kind of 
mom scenario and work being our work life. And if you if you kind of put the two together, there's a lot of crossover. Yeah. And I think we'll get to that in a minute because I think the personal life and the professional life, we oftentimes have different personas, but also some of the insecurities bleed over, right, from from life to life. But let's first talk about asking for help. So women, mothers, we bear an invisible burden, right? It's not just um, a, a, the career and it's not just of being mom, but but it's everything. We're CEOs of our own home. We are shouldering so much beyond, you know, what many times we have the bandwidth to do. Um, but a lot of that invisible burden is self-inflicted, right? We we make ourselves martyrs. To be a mother is not to be a martyr. And this is something I have to tell myself every single day. And, um, you know, we'll talk about personally in a little bit when when your husband will say, well, why didn't you just ask for help, right? And, and then, you know, you start sharpening the knives because you want to stab them. What do you mean? Why didn't I just ask for help? But talk to me about why we as women can't ask for help. Number one, we say that we can't ask for help, but actually we don't ask for help. And there's a big difference, right? So so you can ask, you just didn't ask. And the question after that is, why didn't you ask? So one of the reasons is because we don't want to look weak. Um, another reason is uh, definitely a pride situation, right? I don't want to ask for help because then it'll, again, back to the weak thing. Um, and the third one, I think, is a little bit more about self-esteem. You know, if we don't value ourselves and value our own time, then we obviously can't ask and won't ask for help because we don't think we're worthy of of getting help. But I, I think that the 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 best part about um, learning to ask for help is it's it's eliminates that control that we have. We want this absolute control of everything. And what I learned as a mom, and uh, you know, I hope some of your listeners, if not all of them can appreciate this. I love the control because I loved when I did it my way because I felt like my way was right, right? It was the best way. And I, you know, if I had to ask someone else to do it, it would take longer. It wouldn't be done as well. I had all these reasons of why it was better if I did it. And then at the end of the day, I was this, you know, wet dish towel that had done everything. Um, and, and at what cost, right? I, I think that's what we need to ask ourselves at what cost. So I got good at accepting poorly made beds or clothes that were folded, not the way I wanted them to be folded, but they were folded because someone took on the task because I delegated that task to someone and said, I will forego beautifully folded clothes for not so beautifully folded clothes and maybe needing a little bit of an iron, but, um, but it also empowers someone else. So when you when you agree to delegate and ask for help, you are empowering other people, you are empowering yourself, and you're also laying the land out and saying, I am only a portion of this, right? It's, it's, a, it's a mom and a dad or two parents or two partners working together. And, and now that many of us are having two income households, we have to share it. It cannot be 70-30 or 90-10 or whatever it is. So I, I think it's about giving up a little bit of that control, giving up a little bit of that perfection and um, and agreeing that, uh, that, that you can ask for help. You just haven't chosen to. And to exercise that muscle of delegation is a very powerful tool for yourself, not only at home, but at work. Now, 
you know, we can at home accept the crumpled clothes and and the messier beds and, you know, the 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 dishwasher wasn't quite loaded, you know, the symmetrical way that I would have preferred. But I can't accept a half-baked report at work. I can't accept less than exceptional at work. And at, as a manager, for those mothers that are in management positions, certainly we can delegate certain things. But what about the women that maybe don't have the opportunity or the ability to delegate? You know, women are already perceived as less than in the workforce across the board and working mothers even more so, right? Where There's so much prejudice against working mothers. She's not always going to be available. She's always going to have to leave early for her kids, you know, this, that, or the other. How can we ask for help at work without weakening our positions, without weakening our reputations, and without sacrificing quality? So I think that's a tightrope, <laughs> right? I think you need to, uh, what people, this is my view on it. I think it's a tightrope tight rope because you need to decide what it is you will ask for help on and what it is you say, there is no way I can ask for help on. And and it's about exactly what you said. What, how will I be perceived? So, so I say, if you're lost or confused, ask for help, right? If you need more insight or expertise on a project or a a report or whatever, then ask for help. If you are staying up till midnight or one in the morning because you refuse, as you used the word before, if you're being a martyr, it sounds like you need to ask for help. Um, And then if there's too much on your plate, that's where I'd say you're on the tightrope. What's on your plate? Is it because you're being pulled home? Is it because it's family related? And then you really have to decide whether you're going to ask for help or not. So I I believe, especially because we are women and because we are judged so harshly, that we really need to think long and hard before we ask for help. But in the right scenarios, I I think that, that it absolutely is a smart business decision and it makes us more efficient and it's the right choice of action. But we shouldn't refrain from it because we think it'll make us look weak. Somebody very smart once told me this little piece of advice that I, as a, as, as a chronic type A perfectionist control freak, had to really sit and stew and internalize. And um, she's going to be joining us on the podcast in a few weeks. But she told me, Zabine, no is a complete sentence. It's a complete sentence. Say No, you can say no. And for those that are listening, you can say no at work. Now, it's not telling your boss, no, I can't do that. It's saying something as simple as when they give you an additional task or more uh, responsibilities or, or pile things on, ask them, what's the priority? What do you want me to put on pause so that I can then focus on this? Can we extend the deadlines then on A, B, and C if you need one, two, and three? This way, it doesn't look like you're shirking the work or the responsibility. You look organized. You're setting clear boundaries where you're raising flags to them to say, listen, I'm going to help you. I want to get this right. But considering everything we have on our to-do list right now, we can't meet these deadlines. And if you don't do that, if you don't advocate for yourself, right, it's inevitable that you're going to burn out. 
You're going to deliver work either past deadline, miss a deadline, or work that is subpar in quality. It's something as simple as refusing work that doesn't have any bearing or relation on what you immediately need to do and or telling those that are giving you work something as simple as what is the priority? When do you need this by? Is there anyone that can help me on this? Or going to them and saying, I made a plan. You asked me to do one and two. This is what I figured out. These are the resources I'm going to need. And these are some of the things I'm going to need some support on. It doesn't make you look weak. It makes you look like you've been thinking critically. You've come up with the solution. You're organized. You're dedicated. You're committed. They're going to value you even more. But I think, Beth, we get so caught up in just, we can't say anything. We're going to get in trouble or we're going to lose our jobs that we can't even advocate for ourselves in that simplest of ways. I agree with you 100%. And it is all about having that voice and finding your voice. And for some women, it'll be a really long time before they can find that voice. That place that you just described, Zabine, is beyond someone's, many people, the comprehension of many people to say, I could never say that. Uh, except when you get completely underwater, eventually you will find your voice. So I believe that being in a place like this at jobs.mom, it's an environment where you're encouraging people to say, if I can find my voice, I can do my job really well. And if I can find my voice, I am prepared and everything that you described, but it's also about how teaching other people how to treat us. And so when you define the role and you say, okay, this is, I, I know what I can do. And instead of just saying yes, for one more thing piled on that plate, that's already full to begin with, to be able to find your voice and, and to go back and say, hold it. And as you said, yeah. it's not necessarily a hard no, but it is a subtle way of saying, before I say yes, you need to know what's already here and then we'll reorganize and figure out which is your priority. And I'm happy to do your priority, but I just want clarity. And when you get clarity and you open up those lines of communication, I, I think it's an incredible working situation and working relationship, but it does require us to be able to find our voice, voice and be able to say, hold on one second. Let's talk about this. Absolutely. And I think you you gain a lot of respect by doing that, where, where people at work say, you know what, she's a very thoughtful person. She really thinks about these things. And you begin to wield your own amount of influence within the culture of your company because you build the right kind of reputation, not the reputation that you're always harried, right? That you're always rushing, that you're always stressed, that you're always anxious, that you're always you know, freaking out about some kind of deadline, but you build a professional, proper, protected, uh, respectable reputation of somebody that, you know what, sets clear boundaries, gets the job done, gets it done right, is an advocate for herself. And people really care about what you think. And honestly, we kill ourselves at work, right? And my husband used to tell me this. He said, why? For what? Because you'll die. And then there's you know, the next day, somebody's going to be sitting in your seat. So don't think that by killing yourself, you are somehow making yourself indispensable, indisposable. That's not what you're doing. How do you make yourself irreplaceable? By being that type of respected thought leader, problem solver, decision maker that we just described. <laughs> 
Would you agree, Beth? Absolutely. And and to your point, I mean, I think the key word that you said there is boundaries. Boundaries everywhere. Boundaries at home, boundaries at work, boundaries when you when you can actually sit down and decide what your boundaries are. Most people won't think them through. You if you look at limits and boundaries and you say, what will I tolerate and what won't I tolerate? Everywhere. It's a great exercise and, and it really creates tremendous amount of clarity for people to say, okay, this is my boundary. What won't I bleed into, especially now that we're working from home? There, there's no separation. Work never ends, right? You, you, you're constantly at their disposal because you've picked up your phone or you've answered an email. And so boundaries are huge and they're, they're huge everywhere at work and at home. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, especially right now in this pandemic, women and mothers have borne the brunt of the fallout. And I have three young children. I have a six-month-old. As you know, my kids have been learning remotely. They've, they've been back at school, thankfully, but every other week they're, they're forced into remote learning because of a new case or an exposure. And there is no delineation between where is work and where is home. So we're working more, longer, harder, before, you know, I'd get on a train, I'd commute into the city, and then I'd come home and, and work was done, and then I was at home. And it doesn't work that way anymore. And more than ever, we need to ask from help, for, for help um, from, from our partners, from our spouses, um, from our family, from our friends. It, it takes a village, Beth. But especially at home, even for those of us that are lionesses in the office, we don't like to ask for help from our partners because we don't want to pick a fight, right? Talk to me about why does it end up in a fight when I ask you to take out the trash? And how could I say that you need to take out the trash without it devolving into a fight? <laughs> so I here is a, you know, kind of a, something that I struggle with on a regular basis, but I, I may have uh, I may have learned a lot over the pandemic. Number one, um, it's all about communication, right? So it's about how you say what you say, not necessarily what you say. So uh, uh, you and I talked recently about a book called Invisible Women. It was kind of eye opening for me to realize how many hours women work. Uh, you know, this kind of unpaid work, and and so it reminded me to say, hey, you know what? I'm not the only one qualified for this job, right? So I have a family of six back and forth with college, but during the pandemic at the height of it all, six home, three dogs. So it was kind of chaotic here. And and I, I found my voice to be able to say to my husband, do you know you never make the bed? Now, I get it. I get it, right? Like you used to leave at 5.30 in the morning and I was still in the bed. So I would not expect you to make the bed because I was still in it. But now we're both home. I'm up earlier than you. And so you jump out of bed and come downstairs and I it's never made. It is never made. So he said, um, I, I don't care. I'm just going to get back in it tonight. I'm like, okay, oh. 
Oh, my God. But I care. But I care. And you are capable and you are qualified. So I just said, you know what? We're both home. I'm just asking you. I'm not asking you every day, but I believe that it is a task for both of us. We both live here. It's not the 1950s anymore. This is not Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore. And uh, I am not a a stay-at-home mom. We are both working from home and we need to share the responsibility. So when you say things like, can you help me out? I almost want to argue with someone who's going to say that and say, no, no, this is shared task. They are not helping you out. You are both in this home. This is 50-50. And, and we need to delineate the responsibilities and, and kind of lay it out and say, who's going to do what? So to your point of not having a fight, one, it's all about your tone. It's all about how you bring it up. So if you bring it up after you're already bent out of shape, I assure you, not a good time. Not a good time to bring that up in work. Not a good time to bring that up at home. It's never going to end well. It just isn't. But if you if you write out your list and say, all right, this is how I need this is this is what's on my list that cannot remain on my list that I need to share. And treat it like a work meeting, right? Can we talk about this? Can we talk about who's going to do what? And at the end of the day, just like work, you you decide who's going to do what, and then you revisit it a week from now or whatever, and keep revisiting it so that that you are having this open dialogue. But if you do it when you're hot or frustrated, um, it, it's going to be a fight, whether it's trash or making the bed or anything else. Totally. And I think also, you know, women love to complain that their husbands, their partners, their boyfriends, their spouses take them for granted. But I think if we did a little introspection, that we could also admit that sometimes it's the other way as well. And granted, not to the degree that we bear it, but I'll give you an example. If I wanted somebody at work to do something. I certainly wouldn't take a tone with them, right? It's a professional environment. But I don't extend that courtesy to my husband, right? Because he's stuck with me, right? He's (laughs) he's married, signed the papers. We have three kids, right? It's going to be a really expensive uh, separation if it was to go that way. So he's got to eat my crap, right? But that's wrong, right? That's wrong. If I was to approach it with a measure of diplomacy um, and and grace that I do at work, things would be really different. So I think it's very easy for us to project. And I'd like to think that I am 99% not to blame for things, Beth. This is just the ratio in my head. Um, but even if it's just that 1%, it's there and it makes a difference, right? It makes a difference. And it's respect, right? Like everybody wants to be treated with respect. So it's just an ounce of respect. Even if you think they're completely wrong, even if you think they're completely wrong, then you say, okay, then, then I own the part that I have not shared that this was a problem up until now. So instead of, you know, this might be a really helpful tip. Instead of pointing your finger at someone else, point it back at yourself for a second and just say, how did I create this environment? Because it's highly likely because of our, you know, uh, um, perfectionism or our control freakism, if that's a word, um, we have created this and we did it and did it and did it. And now we're saying, okay, well, wait, now I need help. And so now it's a problem, right? And, and so now you come at your spouse with this kind of animosity or, or, um, you know, kind of, I don't know, 
tone, sassiness, yeah, it's, it's snarkiness, ring, right? Yeah, and and so uh, so if you take a step back and say, you know what, I uh, I own this. I own that we got into this spot right now, and um, and then treat it with, like you said, uh, exactly how you would treat a, a diplomatic situation in work, and and handle it to the best of your ability. And and you're married, right? So this is a relationship that that you guys created together. My husband and I created it together, and and it's the key to success is the communication. So communicate, figure it out, work it out, and figure out how you can divide everything up and um, and make it helpful to to everybody involved. And I think that's right. You know, we're not in this alone, right? And even for 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 those that are single parents, right? There are many single parents that are single working parents. You're still not in this alone, right? Leverage your network of friends, your neighbors, your community. You know, they are your friends, your neighbors, your community. They are your people for a reason because they love you. They care about you, but they are not going to know you need help unless you ask for it. Right. Unless you ask for it. I'll tell you a funny story. And this has absolutely nothing to do with 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 asking for help, but it's about not knowing until you ask. So when I was in high school, I worked at a, an orthodontist, uh, a dentist and orthodontist office. So imagine, you know, like 17 year old Zabine, you know, I was, you know, in my little scrubs and, and I was helping this this dentist uh, in Forest Hills, Queens at that time. He's he's since passed. Um, but he told me that, you know, he had this patient that would come to see him all the time, all the time for various dental work. And suddenly the patient stopped coming. And he saw the patient maybe months later at like a church barbecue. And when he looked at her and he was talking to her and he said, you know, where have you been? I really missed you. How is everything? It's been a long time. Um, He saw that she had gotten a full set of veneers Right. And, and so for those of you that are not familiar, the veneers are like the caps that they put on your teeth to make your teeth perfect. And and they are extremely expensive. Right. They're extremely expensive. And he was really hurt that she chose to give that business to another dentist and not to him. So he asked her and he said, you know, your veneers look fantastic. But but if, if you don't mind, can I ask, why didn't you do them with me? Why did you do them? Um, somewhere else. And you know what she said? She said, I didn't know that you did veneers. I didn't know. I didn't know that you did it. And he said, I never forgot that one conversation because if, if, if people don't know what you need, what you can do, where your boundaries are, if you have not communicated it, that's on you. And the fallout is on you. So we can blame people for not being psychic, right? Which which I am a professional at blaming my husband, my poor husband for. But if we don't communicate it, Beth, they're not going to know. Absolutely. At work and at home. At work and at home. So coming back to your book, I read it. And honestly, you know me, I usually shy away from self, self-help, inspiration type books. And even when we were building jobs.mom, you know, there's so much philosophical ivory tower fluff stuff out there, like find your voice, change your perspective. All right, great. But what does that mean? What does that, how do I find my voice? What do I say? How do I change my perspective? So at jobs.mom, we made a very deliberate, um, uh, a very deliberate move to provide practical, uh, feasible, 
advice, tools, tips that women can use and implement. And so when I read your book, I was so pleased because it's not the, you know, don't let it get you down kind of kumbaya, sing a song around the fireplace or sing sing a song around the campfire kind of thing. It was a really useful toolkit. So to the moms that are listening, the women that are listening, those that are struggling with guilt, Beth, those that can't ask for help, struggling with doubt, uncertainty, depression, mental health is a crisis in this pandemic. What do you want them to know about how to get from point A to that point B you told them to set their sights on earlier in this conversation? Yeah, you know it's interesting when you when you say all those words. You know, I, I resonate with with every single one of them. Not not depression so much, but but all the other words. I resonate with every single word you said, and and I think that women. I truly believe that women think that other women have it all together. You know, everybody thinks that the next person, you know, has all their ducks in a row and that it's perfect. And and the truth is that that we all feel the same way. There are moments on any given day, even my best day, that I have guilt or insecurity or whatever, um, any of those uh, descriptive words that you use, because that's just the nature of life, right? And so if you look at someone else and you think someone else has it all together and it, it's all working for them and you're the only one that's kind of going through the, the trenches know that you're not, right? Know that you're not. Know that everybody else is in the same trench for the most part. And and number two, if you're trying to get to point from a, point A to point B, and what I tried to convey in the book was, yes, there are these lovely quotes that will say, you know, oh, the journey of a, a thousand miles begins with one step. And, and you may look at that and say, yeah, but do you know how hard my road is? And and I get that, right? I get the how hard the road is. But the important thing to say to yourself is, all right, uh, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And, and what I can get from that is that I won't give up. That maybe today is going to be hard, but but I can go to my resources. Who is my tribe? Who is my family? Jobs.mom. Jobs.mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait, I know this. Go to jobs.mom.com jobs.mom. That's the community. Go to the people that are just like you and say, okay, let me get my resources together because that's how I'm going to get from point A to point B. And, and when you know it and you define it and you target it and you surround yourself with people, no one, I will be, I will tell you straight up, the road is not straight. It's filled with bumps and potholes and detours and, you know, the whole bit. But if you, if you know where you want to go and you surround yourself with people that support you, then you can make it from point A to point B. So I don't want to give you any flowery quote, but to know that if you keep going, it's there for you. You just cannot give up. Don't give up on yourself. Now, working mothers, they face a lot of prejudice in the workplace and even more so when they've had a gap in their careers, right? You took time off of your career, many years off to raise your kids, and you re-entered the workforce. That was scary. That was daunting. That was, I mean, a whole bunch of things, but but you did it. So for those women that have been out of the workforce or, or have a gap in their careers, what advice do you give them uh, about returning? So everything you said is true. And it, and it happened to me. Not only did I take a huge gap for my children, but I came back and I switched 
direction. So I didn't even go back into where, you know, my wheelhouse was on Wall Street. I became an executive coach. And so I'll be honest, when I not only was I scared and petrified, I had the when I first created the business, I'm like, am I an imposter? Like, what is a coach? Do you have to be Anthony Robbins to be an executive coach? And so I had a, a tremendous amount of fear and um and doubt. And and the people around you don't make you feel that much better. They're like, well, how's the business going? Like with this kind of snarky, what do you think, you know, what do you think you're doing? Um, you right. have to have some tough skin. Uh, and, and if I develop nothing over the past seven years, it is some tough skin to say, I know where I want to go and I'm going to keep going for it and I'm not going to let anything stop me. So the snarky comment, no, the, you know, the, the, um, barking up the wrong tree, not going to stop me banging on doors and not getting a yes, not going to stop me. And, and so there, there are little yeses along the way that keep you going. Uh, and there, and there's people that, you know, are in your camp that are supporting you that, that make it easier. But uh, I, all, everything that you described, I felt it's scary. You need to believe in yourself. You need to own your truth. And so you came back into the workforce for whatever reason, whatever your why is, wherever you want to go, you know what that is. And, um, and you have to believe in that and not listen to this kind of external noise around you because it will always give you more doubt and will always make you want to uh, quit or give up or say, this is too hard. And and you have to ignore that kind of, you know, we put earbuds in so we don't hear the outside noise. I say the same thing when you come back into the workforce, put your own, you know, kind of earbuds in so that you don't hear all the external voices that are going to cause you extra doubt uh, and believe in yourself. Because there's nobody you can count on more than you. That's right. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Now, you titled your book, The Wake Up Call, which which tickled me um, when, when I picked it up. And, and I think for many of us, um, we've kind of been slogging through this pandemic, right? We've become, I feel myself at least, kind of like a drone, just going through the motions another day, just trying to survive. We are all in survival mode, right? Um, but but you, you feel this sort of resignation, a resignation with, you know, the, the, the pandemic we're in, a resignation with um, the state of the world, the, the burden of being at home, working from home, taking care of kids that are at home. Sometimes we need that wake-up call, but what is it? What is the wake-up call, and, and what do we do once we're awake, Beth? For the the book, it's uh, it's 365 days of positive motivation. So if nothing else, in, especially in a pandemic, I kind of think the timing was beautiful because in a pandemic, every day, it's the same thing. It's the Groundhog Day all over again, right? And how do you get inspired to live another day stuck in your house, not able to do everything that you've wanted to do? And so the wake-up call, whether it's my book or just the, the words, the wake-up call, it's about saying, what do I want? So I'll give you a short little story, Zabine. Um, before I became a coach, I looked back at one point trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I looked back and I said, all right, what what did I do over the last five years? Like what's changed? What, you know, what happened to me over the last five years? And the answer at that point in my life was nothing. And when I, when I realized that, that was my wake up call, big wake up call. I said, wait, I have done essentially nothing for five years. Yes. I raised my kids and I was at home and all of that was incredibly important. But I said, well, then what do I want for the next five? 
when I look back five years from then, what am I going to say to myself? And I wanted it to be something that I was proud of. And so what happens in life is we, we, um, we drift right? And we don't mean to drift, just life starts happening. We can think of 2020 as a big drift year. We weren't able to do a lot because we we couldn't, but but now things are going to start to get better. And, and I want your listeners to say, what do I want? Even if it's just a year from now or, or better yet with a pandemic, maybe we should say five years from now. What do you want five years from now? What do you want to be different? Because if if you can wake up, and I use air quotes on that, if you can wake up and say, I'm important and I don't want another five years to go by or three years or 10 years or whatever it is um, for nothing to change, the wake up call is just for, for you to say to yourself, what do I want? What, what do I want to happen for me? What goal do I want to achieve? And, and go after it right? Life is too short to sit around and say, I will wait until. I see too many moms say, I will wait until my kids are out of. I will wait until my husband, you know, whatever. I will wait until I retire. I will wait until I have time. Please. There's never enough time. There's never enough money. There's not, you know, the kids will always need you after they're grown. Then they're going to start having kids and you're going to start saying, you know, well, when I'm, <laughs> I mean, when I'm not a grandparent anymore, I don't know what, but we just set up these excuses because we, we do, we, right. we get into this drifting mode. And, um, and unfortunately, uh, it, it doesn't bring us to where we want to be. We drift to wherever we go. So it's better to kind of, um, point the boat in the direction you wanted to go in and pick a port. Yeah. And Beth, I think, you know, everything you shared with us here today is so incredibly important and maybe things that we know or knew, but maybe haven't really dwelled too much upon or, or wanted to revisit. And we did need to revisit. We did need the reminder. We did need the wake up call. So thank you for that wake up call. Beth Fitzgerald, author of the wake up call. It's available to buy on back order now because super, uh, super uh, in demand, Beth on Amazon. Uh, Beth, thank you so much for joining us here today on Moms at Work. Yeah, I loved it. I think you're creating a great resource for women out there that is super needed. Thank you so much, Beth. And of course, for those of you that are following along, uh, jobs.mom will be officially launching. That's jobs.mom will officially be launching on March 1st. Until then, you can follow us on our weekly podcast, Moms at Work. Remember to stay safe, stay sane. And as Beth said, ask for help. I'm Zabine Mirza, and we'll see you next time. Follow us on social media. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out more episodes at jobs.mom slash moms at work.